Hey girls, boys, and folks beyond the binary. Welcome back to On The Mic, outspoken LGBTQ storytelling. I'm Devlin Camp. Once a month before the pandemic, people from all over Chicago gathered at Sidetrack, one of the city's longest running gay bars, to hear stories told live by LGBTQ people. Now we're going back into six years of archives to bring the stories to you. Tis the season for some queer rage. We like to keep the themes of this show evergreen so you can enjoy these episodes any time of the year, but in two weeks, we have to take down some of the biggest bullies to ever try to take our rights away. And I don't just mean Donald Trump. There are senators and congresspeople ready to overturn laws, a Senate majority leader trying to appoint a Supreme Court justice who wants to sterilize trans people and outlaw homosexuality. Marriage is on the line, Roe v. Wade is on the line, the list goes on. It's hard not to think about how angry many of us are as queer people right now. So today's stories are about harnessing that powerful energy. And by the way, do you have a plan to vote? If you have your mail-in ballot, send it back as soon as possible so it gets counted quickly. Hit your polling place early before election day if you can. If you're voting in person on election day, show up early if you can. For a lot of us, even the democratic options aren't our favorite choices, but the alternative is getting dangerously close to The Handmaid's Tale. Now is the time to take down these bullies. It's time to summon up that anger boiling inside of us for four years, that familiar anger we've seen in countless queer activists taking to the streets to fight for our rights over the past century. We have the power to retain those rights. And it starts with your vote on November 3rd. To inspire that rage I know we all have as LGBTQIA people, we've got some stories for you, girl. From defending a neighbor from a bad boyfriend to defending oneself when misgendered in a gay bar bathroom, these stories are about that rush of adrenaline against a bully. May we all experience the relief that follows that rush on election day. Let's get to it. Outspoken takes place the first Tuesday of every month at Sidetrack and is audio recorded in front of a live audience. Each storyteller at Outspoken speaks from their unique perspective, and their views do not represent those of other speakers, the hosts, Outspoken, or Sidetrack. And if you're enjoying the show, please, while you're listening, hop onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or a little review to boost the show to new listeners. Thanks. Our next storyteller, Abby McEnany. Abby is an actor, improviser, and writer who performs at various locations around Chicago, including I.O. and the Second City. You can see her weekly in Virgin Daiquiri, the acclaimed all-women team at I.O. on Wednesdays at 8. Folks, please welcome for the first time, Miss Abby McEnany. Come on. How are you? I'm always like, I always realize that my voice is a lot shriekier than I had hoped. So, apologies. <laughs> you know, let's just get it out there. Toot sweet. All right. <laughs> Julia Sweeney's Pat from SNL made my life a living hell. I have often thought that the term lesbian community was a misnomer. I have been judged, insulted, and disrespected by this community just as much as the straight world because of the way I look. And I've got to tell you, it hurts way more. But that's what communities are. They're fucked up. 
called Pat all the time. And not just by straight assholes, but by lesbian assholes too. One night in Stargaze, a shitty, dirty lesbian bar in Andersonville that no longer exists. A lesbian I had never met came up to me and asked, who are you, Pat? And I was, Jesus fucking Christ, I am in a lesbian bar. What the fuck is going on? This is supposed to be a safe space where people go to be safe, to be protected from the fucking world out there that judges us by our looks. And this fucking dyke is coming up to me and like, who are you, fucking Pat? Uh, fast forward, uh, about eight years ago at Midsummerfest, you guys, the street fair in Andersonville, uh, there are problems, but it can be fun. Um, a bunch of my friends and I had been there a long, long time, and we were a little tired, hard to believe, lots of Miller Lights, so we went into Farragut's, which as some of you guys might know is like a dive bar up there, and they have really cheap Miller Lights, and we we're just sitting in the window, and we're there just to use the bathroom, and it was just fine. So I was like, I'm going to use the bathroom. So I stood in line, in the long line, in that crappy bathroom. But I was like waiting in line, waiting in line. Now, uh, so I went into the bathroom. And just as a side note, like, I, uh, I washed my hands a very long time. Uh, like, in 1987, I, I had horrible, uh, uh, crippling OCD for probably about seven years. Bleeding hands, horrible, took forever in the bathroom. Have been pounded at a lot, but whatever. Um, so anyway, so I was in this line for a long time. People could see I was a woman. I mean, jury's out. Who knows? But anyways, um, so I went to the bathroom. I was copiously washing my hands like I do. And then all of a sudden, someone started fucking pounding on the door. Pounding on the fucking door. And after years of having doors pounded on, uh, I get really stressed out. So I try to hurry. But then my hand touches the side of the sink and the faucet, and I have to start over. So don't fucking pound! <laughs> I am telling you, it is not helping you. Do not pound. <laughs> and I walked out, and I was so pissed. Hard to believe. I'm kind of a bitch. Anyways. <laughs> And there was like this young suburban ponytailed dyke, probably named Courtney, and she was, <laughs> she was probably from Aurora, but she said she was from Naperville. <laughs> and she screamed, this is a woman's room! And I screamed back, and I'm a woman! And she was like, sorry. And I was like, look around. Open your eyes. This is your fucking community. <laughs> I am at a dyke street fest in a dyke neighborhood in a neighborhood bar filled with dykes. And I have to defend my gender representation to dykes. Are you fucking kidding me? Now, I could have bought her a beer to, like, bridge the gap and, <laughs> and cross the aisle, so to speak, and, you know, tell her, like, you know what? Like, lesbians look different, and this is what your community is. And welcome her to the grown-up fucking world. 
And I chose not to because sometimes it's not your fucking job. Do your, do your own fucking work or don't. Communities are messed and discordant and at times fucked up. And in my mind, this is the realistic lesbian community. It is imperfect. Now, what is real is unlikely allies. I did it a girl named Karen in the 90s. You guys, I'm 48. Uh, hard to believe. No, it's not. Oh, F off. Anyways. Um, and she had just graduated from St. Mary's, which was Notre Dame's sister school. And all of her friends were straight, heteronormative, cute little girls um, from Notre Dame and St. Mary's. And then there was one Saturday night uh, that I had just finished a late show, and I was meeting Karen at one of her best friends, Katie's, house party. Now, I just got to say, Katie was definitely the kindest, most mature, most woke bae. We didn't have that word back there, but... Um, <laughs> And she was like the friend of all the friends that welcomed me like wholeheartedly to the group. And I've got to say, everybody was really nice to me, but I've got to say it was like 10 to 90% sincere. It doesn't matter. Anyways, so I walked into Katie's big house party wearing my overalls, which pair I cannot remember. And uh, just to set the scene, I was probably about 40 or 50 pounds heavier. Um, and I heard a 23-year-old bro in jeans jeans, a Notre Dame t-shirt and a ball cap, say to his bro, Pat's here. And they laughed. And I turned around to face them. And I said, what, what did you say? And the guy, a strong 23-year-old, straight, heteronormative white guys did, turned away. <laughs> and I was like, I was not confrontational because I was exhausted, and also I was a stranger in a home filled with fucking conventionally beautiful Catholic aliens. <laughs> now, Katie, who lived in this home, saw this go down, and she was walking over to welcome me to this party. And she was like, what happened? I was like, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I was like, she's like, what happened? And so I eventually told her, and she was apoplectic. This girl went up to her guests, her friends, smug, entitled, mean boys with their red fucking solo cups, and kicked them out of her house. <laughs> Katie was not going to let me be treated with disrespect, and she kicked her friends out of her party. They were like, hey man, are you serious? And she was like, get out. Now, this woman, who was 23 years old, 23 years old in the 1997 climate, threw out two Notre Dame friends to protect and stand up and defend a 30-year-old, fat, clearly queer woman she had known for two months who the general populace thought was the inspiration for fucking Pat. <laughs> and while we hear more and more stories about this nowadays from young people and just society in general, 23 years old, I'm sorry, 23 years ago, it was revolutionary. And let me just add that I know that I'm a very fortunate person. I have, I have so many blessings, and, uh, and the most important, the, the, the two top blessings I have are that a fam, uh, I have a family that I know I am blessed to have. Like when I know my family has totally embraced me, 
they love me unconditionally, and that is a gift. And I have friends that have supported me through everything, straight, queer, in between, whatever. I mean, I, I'm very, I'm a blessed person. Uh, I am clinically depressed. Hey, that's a good topic. Anyways, um, but even when things are really horrible and I cannot get out of bed, I can lay there and go, man, I am lucky and fortunate to have people that love me. And I, I got to say, it is a really good, it's a true gift, and I am honestly grateful. And I would say, <laughs> until this summer, I lived in this bubble of hope, and I'm not sure that hope is the right word, but it doesn't matter because I renamed it. It's the bubble of naivete. I don't know how to say that right. And then also, or honestly, of stupidity. I lived in this bubble of stupidity um, because I believed at the heart of everybody there was goodness. Uh, and I live uh, here in Chicago. I live as an out loud queer dyke, and I have a lot of opinions. None of you are interested, but I'm happy to share. <laughs> and I, I, in general, in general, I feel very safe. And that bubble was really burst this summer. I, uh, two, I have two dear friends. Let's call them Dave and Donna. That sounds like something that you look, uh, Dave and Donna. And they came to that Virgin Daiquiri show that was whatever. I, I am an improviser, and I do it at I.O. And uh, they brought Dave's dad and his stepmom. And they had just arrived from out of town. Uh, and Virgin Daiquiri is an all-female group. So after the show, I saw Dave. And I was like, oh my god, hey, Dave. Um, I'm pretty excitable. And I was so excited to meet his father because I love my friends. I love to meet their family. I just want to say, like, I, I, and I met him. I'm like, oh my god, I love your son. He's been so great. I've worked with Dave. He's helped me so much. He's just a dear friend. He, uh, and he shook my hand unenthusiastically and didn't want to converse further. And I was like, that's cool. Like, and honestly, I didn't think about it because like a lot of people are like, you loud, you obnoxious, no thanks. But I was just like, I get it. And, and uh, I really didn't, I didn't think about it any further. And then maybe like they were there for like four or five days. And on, on, like on the fifth day, I was with Donna and we were on our way to do a show. And I was like, how did, how did the trip go? And she was like, oh, it was really rough. We were so mad because the whole time uh, his father refused to accept that you are a woman. And uh, I felt like I had gotten punched in the gut. We were on the bus and I started to cry, but I didn't want to show Donna I was crying because I don't want to, I honest, somebody later was like, do you wish she hadn't told you? I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to know this shit because I need to learn what the real, real world is like. Uh, so they were there for like four or five days, and I, I was kind of like, oh, what do you mean? And then like for, through that time, they were like, wait, what is he? Wait, does she know that that's what she looks like? Does she choose, does she want to get her hair cut like that? Why it, does he wear those clothes? Like why, why she's a woman? And they were just so exasperated and angry. And, they, uh, and Donna, I was doing a, a one-woman storytelling show this summer, and Donna was like, hey, if you want, she's doing a one-woman storytelling show. She talks a lot about gender and sexuality and representation. You want to come? They passed. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you could say it was a hard pass. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and Dave's father watches Fox News all day. And I... And yeah, okay, but uh, and he's retired, and he he just watches Fox News. And I gotta say, like, I've heard about people like that, right? Like, I'm not. I mean, like, I read. 
Uh, not enough. Okay. But anyway, like, I know that there are people that watch that shit all the time. But I really, uh, I guess I, I really didn't understand what it meant. Um, and until the day I lived under the, we're going back to the naivete, right? I lived under the naive assumption that we are all one degree away from understanding. And we're one degree away from compassion. And we're one degree away from getting to know the people that we don't understand and being like, oh, you're a human being. Like, I get it. And that did not happen with this man. So I got to say, it was, it was a huge gut punch. Um, I always thought that ignorance could be cured by meeting somebody that you didn't understand and be like, you know, like what I just said. So when uh, Donna told me that her father-in-law left Chicago not understanding, and let's be honest, not choosing not to understand what I was, it really broke my heart. You guys, I'm very sensitive. <laughs> so on Wednesday, November 7th, remember that horrible day? Uh, I woke up to the news that this hateful, hateful man, and I've not said his name, I think, since that time, who's anti-queer, misogynist, ignorant, racist, hateful, that he was our president-elect and that our vice president-elect thinks that people like me, like a lot of us, need to be cured. I thought of this man, my friend's father, this, this man that I love, and he is this amazing son, and, and, and the son loves me. And I realized that my bubble of hope has been irrevocably burst. We are living in a world where choosing not to understand is honored. And I honestly, hard to believe, don't know what the answer is. <laughs> but um, and I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I think maybe it's increased visibility. And it uh, kind of cracks me up. Like, I have these, like, dyke buttons, queer buttons. I call myself a queer dyke. We can talk about that later. It doesn't matter. But um, so I've been wearing them around, and I just think it's hilarious. Like, somebody's like, yeah, we know, Abby, you're a dyke. I mean, it just, it seems ridiculous. But anyways, I, I, I don't know how to end this. I just want to say um, thank you for being here. Thanks for the community. And uh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> so here we go. Our next speaker, Sonal. Agarwal, okay, <laughs> is a world-traveling performer. Raised in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, she left the country after college to travel the world. In March of 2015, while living in India as an artist and MC, her life took a dramatic turn with a motorcycle accident that led her back to Chicago. And we're happy that you're back in Chicago, not about the motorcycle accident. Uh, during her rehabilitation, she realized that she was meant to do stand-up comedy. Yay! Now her infectious energy is on stage all over Chicago. Woo! Welcome to the stage, Sonal. Hey, how's everybody doing? I just went to a wedding, my cousin's wedding, this weekend, and everybody's asking, like, when, we want to go to your wedding. And I'm like, as soon as we find my prince or princess, right, Ma? Because we're progressive. She's like, yeah. We are progressive. 
she forces us. <laughs> yes! So uh, this story is called Bliss Rage, or Adventures in Casual Molestation, and the reclaiming of my body as my own. Right, so um, I am, if you can't tell from my bone structure, uh, brown. <laughs> my family is Indian, Punjabi, from the north of India, where men and women say things like, women's rights? Oh, oh, this must be some American concept. Very cute, so cute, women's rights. Oh my God, you are crazy. You <laughs> You are crazy. It's like, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, at least Ma's progressive, right? She's, she's rocking it. And this story takes place in Sri Lanka, in the Arugam Bay, which is a destination for surfers, uh, local travelers, so natives to the island, and uh, people from all over the world. Yeah, sure. <laughs> also welcome there, bring your dollars! And uh, I am swimming in this gorgeous bay, cradled in the bosom of the Earth Mother, surfing the cosmic waves with uh, my friend Mira. Mira and I are conducting a sort of sea monkey mermaid ballet. Right? Mira is nine years old. Uh, I feel safer in the company of children, because adults are kind of lame. No offense to y'all, you guys are very you guys are cool adults. You guys are cool adults. My imagination feels safer in the company of children and my body, because I'm like, I'm not going to get molested if I'm with a kid, right? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Mira and I are blissfully swimming along. The tide is rolling us in and out of the water. We're cradled in the sand and sea. And we're, we're rolling, like, 50 feet this way, 50 feet that way. And there's lots of, though, even as we're getting closer to the sea, the water itself isn't going to get any higher than about three feet. So there's a lot of local people gathered here and swimming in this safe place to swim. Because most people in Southeast Asia do not know how to swim. <laughs> no idea, completely terrified of the water. So a brown woman in a bikini flipping around like a dolphin mermaid is completely out of context and very, very confusing, like error, error, does not, what is she, from where does she come, ah, sensory overload. But I'm not phased, right? I grew up here. I'm empowered. I got rights, right? And Smira and I are swimming in the water, and I'm thinking, we're completely safe. But dun, 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 out of the corner of my eye, I see one of the men wiggling towards us, a Sri Lanka piranha, reaching for the fleshy mound of destiny, unaware of the destiny that awaited him. As he claimed my body as his own, it happened and he grabbed my breast. More head shaking, I like that. Now, what usually happens in these situations, right? We kind of cower, we retreat into our cave of shame, 
Like, ah, it's my fault for having a beautiful fleshy body. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the squidginess. I'm sorry. No. I turned into the Hulk. <laughs> I turned into the Hulk and I came out. It was as if every breast of every person that had been touched without consent in the history of mankind came surging out of my body in one glorious expression of rage. I was like Ariel coming out of the water. Bright young women, sick of swimming, ready to stand and ready for justice. And I grabbed the back of his head and pushed him down into the water. My nostrils flaring. The thought actually came into my head. Don't kill him. Or you'll look like the bad guy. I'm a nice person. I don't appreciate being driven to such violence. Oh, but I was ready. So what am I gonna do? I kind of scared myself, let go. I'm now stomping in the water, attracting the attention of the entire country. All of Sri Lanka is watching now like, holy shit. We should have taken that women's rights thing more seriously, huh? And now this guy, where's he gonna go? Where's he gonna go? He doesn't know how to swim. So he can't come to the shore where his very angry justice awaits him and he can't swim out into the sea. So he just swims behind his three friends like. And his three dumbass friends are like. We have, we have no idea. Meanwhile, my boy Ranjit is over on the shore and I'm like. This is all 100% true. <laughs> he comes rushing to the shore like, da -da -na, da -da 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 -da. I'm here. And he later told me, um, you actually put me in a vulnerable position because if those guys got violent, they would have hit me before they hit you. Word, not my ride or die. You know what, Ranjit, don't worry. I'll protect you. <laughs> little buddy. So now what? There's a whole lot going on. There's many thoughts, many layers of thoughts going on, right? I'm like, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker! And I'm like, Shh, calm down, calm down. You're gonna give yourself a heart attack. What would the Buddha do? The Buddha was not a fleshy woman! Also real thoughts. Those were real thoughts I was experiencing in my head. So now I've gone to the shore. The police have been alerted. The police are like, what happened? What happened? I'm like, I got molested. That guy right there, cowering. He's just there behind those three dumbasses whistling. <laughs> come here, come here, you, come here, come here. And I'm wearing a bikini and I'm like, should I cover myself? Should I cover, no, it's not my fault. It is not my fault. 
I was born with this gorgeous, squidgy body. Can't I enjoy it? <laughs> so he comes, because where else is he going to go? You know, the police are involved now. He comes, and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, you're about to be sorry. Sorry ain't going to cut it, homie. Beat his ass. <laughs> so then the cops started hitting him with a baton. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Ugh, hmm. I'm conflicted. <laughs> I don't know if this is the solution. What are we supposed to do? Chop off all the dicks? Throw everybody into a ravine? Then what? Then we'd be left with a bunch of really dope gay guys. That sounds awesome, actually. That sounds great. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but I know what I'm not going to do. I will not allow anyone to dim my shine. We are vibrational beings, right? We experience light, sound, touch. And with this incredible gift and sometimes burden of consciousness, we store this information. We don't know where, we don't know how. Sometimes it weighs us down, burdens us. So we have the power to bring this stuff to the surface if we are so allowed to and if we allow ourselves. And we can alchemize this shit into comedic and storytelling gold. So uh, that's what I'm saying. I hope that you guys have the power to alchemize the shit into gold and get your most blissful expression of rage on. And don't let anybody go grabbing any bit of your body without permission. I love my boobs getting touched, right? Ask first. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. My name is Sona Lagerwal. Put a uh, condom over Jesse Helms's house this morning in Arlington, Virginia, um, because we're convinced that he's trying to kill people with AIDS. We like to take a minute at Outspoken to remind ourselves that we are not a modern aberration. LGBTQI folks have existed for thousands of years. Let's rewind about 30 years to 1991. We were dealing with Senator Jesse Helms. Helms was an extremely conservative senator from North Carolina. He was opposed to integration through the Civil Rights Act. He opposed suffrage through the Voting Rights Act. He opposed access to abortion and even opposed funding the arts. He held up the appointment of one woman from the Department of Housing, quote, because she's a damn lesbian, not your garden variety lesbian. She's a militant activist mean lesbian, he said. He opposed the appointment of Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Supreme Court because of her support for the homosexual agenda. His words again. Jesse Helms' nickname was Senator No. In 1987, Helms passed legislation for a travel ban on HIV-positive people. The U.S. became the only industrialized country to ban travelers and immigrants based on their HIV status. Senator Helms said, There is not one single case of AIDS in this country that cannot be traced in origin to sodomy. The U.S. Public Health Service even tried to reverse the ban, but Senator No pushed President Bush to uphold it. The ban would stay in place until President Obama lifted it in 2009. Helms was also opposed to federal research and treatment of AIDS, opposed the needle exchange program, and even refused to speak with Ryan White's mother, even when they were alone in an elevator together. All that said, 
1991, ACT UP activists in New York were enraged that no one was stopping this man. ACT UP was known for public actions that got people talking, like chaining themselves to the New York Stock Exchange balcony to protest the price of AIDS medication. This time, they met with an activist from Greenpeace who trained folks on difficult actions like hanging banners on bridges. ACT UP presented him with a new idea, a big one, and he said, no problem, and they got to work. They got in touch with a gay person at the Senate office building and got Senator Helms's home address. They drove by his two-story brick colonial house and snapped a picture. The Greenpeace activists then figured out the measurements of the house from the photo based on the standard size of a front door, and they all decided, yes, it would be possible to cover Senator Jesse Helms's house with a giant condom. ACT UP got estimates from companies that made inflatables for car dealerships, and they had no idea how they'd pay over $3,000 for this giant condom. Until, one day on Fire Island, producer David Geffen heard about the idea and handed them $3,000 in cash. They had the condom made, practiced putting it up on one of their own houses, called news stations and told them to follow them from a motel the next morning to see their new action. And on September 5th, 1991, Senator Jesse Helms' neighbors came out onto the street to complain to the news cameras as queers climbed all over the house and pulled a condom down over it. The ACT UP team had practiced to get the condom on the house in under five minutes before the police arrived. It took cops seven minutes to get there. Some of the cops were laughing when they saw the stunt. And off of my vehicles. I mean, this is private property. That you, you would come and disrupt the neighborhood like this? This Karen then walks over to the cops. She says to the cops, you guys don't want to tangle with these people because you don't want to get AIDS, I know. You guys don't want to tangle with these people you don't want to get AIDS, I know. You can check out videos of the condom demonstration on YouTube by searching ACT UP CONDOM. CNN and local stations ran clips of the action, showing off the blow-up nipple on the top of the house, the inflated tube at the bottom of the house that looked like the unrolled portion of the condom, and, most importantly, they aired the message on the condom itself. A condom to stop unsafe politics. Helms is deadlier than a virus. I'm here today because Jesse Helms is the devil. Jesse Helms has, I think, got to be one of the most evil men in America and has worked for years to do as much as he possibly can to ensure the continuance of the AIDS epidemic. He is responsible for anti-gay legislation and also filibustering important AIDS legislation in the Senate. There were no arrests, only a parking ticket for ACT UP for parking their U-Haul in the wrong direction. Helms said on the Senate floor that ACT UP is a group of radical homosexuals, but he never proposed or passed another piece of AIDS-related legislation. And later, Senator Helms admitted he was wrong about AIDS. Uh, we're here to basically say, you know, you mess with us and you're gonna wake up one morning with a condom on your house. Our final storyteller of the evening is P.J. Gray. Yes. P.J. Gray was recently seen storytelling at Second Stories, Tastes Great, Less Filling, Stories and Chefs event. His sordid career as an LGBTQ writer has included contributions to The Advocate, Pride Magazine, Go Pride Network, to name a few. 
He authored the popular cookbooks, Bear Cooking, the original, the original guide to bear comfort foods, and its uh, bulging sequel, More Bear Cooking, Bigger and Better. For the past decade, PJ has authored uh, low comprehension fiction, low comprehension fiction for struggling and reluctant readers. Think Dick and Jane meet Stephen King. Learn more if you dare at pjgray.com. Please welcome PJ Gray. Come on. Here's some brevity for you. <clears throat> so I, um, I met Miranda Priestley once. Wow. Really? Yeah, seriously. Well, she was more like a cross between Miranda Priestley and um, Lena, Lena Horn and um, Beyonce. And it was 1990, so I should explain. Um, basically what happened was I moved to Chicago to um, uh, finish my degree at Columbia College, and at the time they had no on-campus housing, so I had to find an apartment of my own. So luckily I found one uh, near downtown in a mid-century uh, vintage high-rise, and it turned out to be an ideal location for a, a young liberal arts student because the building was filled with this sort of eclectic mix of um, artists and misfits. In fact, on my floor, just beside me, on, uh, beside my apartment at the end of the hallway was uh, this beautiful young belly dancer named Geneva. And uh, she lived there with her on-again, off-again boyfriend who was this sort of big, bulky, Neanderthal, greasy bouncer type. And they fought constantly, by the way, which was just a joy to live next to. And uh, on the other end of the hall, across from the elevators, was um, the most notorious, I guess, or infamous resident of the building. She went by the name of Miss Spoke. Get it, Miss Spoke? Of course you do. Anyway, um, so uh, I lived there for nearly a year and had never met her but heard all about her. And uh, finally, about two weeks before my lease was up and I was ready to move, uh, I finally met her. We entered the elevator together in the building and on the way up to our floor, um, she, well, let me just describe her for you. Um, I tried not to stare, but um, she wore these um, red patent leather uh, stiletto pumps, this crisp winter white pantsuit, um, this beautiful uh, blood red uh, cashmere sweater uh, with a cowl neck, and over that was um, a, a waistcoat made of uh, white leather with this enormous white fur collar, and uh, her chapeau was uh, something very Alexis Carrington, for those of you who know the reference. It was this huge, broad-rimmed, white, uh, winter white um, uh, hat. Again, like I said, I tried not to stare. And... Uh, <laughs> She stood next to me like a model out of Vogue magazine, and I stood next to her like uh, Shemp. Um, not mower curly, but Shemp, on a bad day. And um, she broke the silence in the elevator by um, uh, uh, slightly saying to me, I know you want me. And then the doors opened to the elevator, and she goes, but you can't have me. And then she stepped out of the elevator to her front door and lastly turned and said, yet. 
so I felt myself blush and kind of froze and then bolted out of the elevator and sort of race walked down the hallway to my apartment like someone with an incontinence problem. And um, <laughs> finally got to my apartment and thought, oh, I finally met the misspoke, finally. So I'm in my apartment, and uh, about an hour later, um, I hear Geneva and the boyfriend fighting again. No big surprise. But this time, they came out of their apartment and were fighting in the hallway in front of my front door, which they'd never done before. And uh, I opened my front door to try to resolve their issue, I guess. And um, they were fighting so loudly in front of me and in a foreign language I did not understand. And he lifted her up and was shaking her by the shoulders and they were screaming at each other and she was pounding her fist on his chest and I turned and looked and down the hallway came Miss Spoke and an equally beautiful friend of hers, by the way, marching down the hallway toward them because they were not happy with what they saw. And the boyfriend saw them approach and he kind of dropped Geneva on the floor and uh, Miss Spoke's friend kind of quickly helped her up and managed her down the hallway to escape him and Miss Spoke stepped up to him and said, hold on a minute, that is no way to treat a lady. Well, you know, you'd think that had some power to it but he just kind of like snickered at her and then spat in her face. Yeah, and when he did, she sort of kind of flinched back reflexively and stumbled a bit and then broke the heel on her stiletto. And she realized when she stumbled, she looked down and then looked back up almost demonically and said, you broke my heel. <laughs> and in that split second where I thought, whoa, where did Lean Horn go? She swung her arm back with a fist swung at him, punched him in the jaw, and with such force, mind you, that she knocked him into the hallway wall beside him. He hit the side of his head, and then he stumbled back and hit the back wall of the hallway next to his apartment, and he was knocked out cold. <laughs> Land on the floor, he was out. Yeah. <laughs> and before I could re react without missing a beat, she turned to me and she goes, get me some rope. So I, I turned and ran into my apartment and I'm freaking out going, oh my God, what did I just see? I've got to get your rope. She needs rope. Where do I find rope? They've got to have rope just lying around. Wait a minute. Why would she think I have rope just lying around? Who has rope just lying around in their apartment? And then I thought, focus, Greg, get yourself together. So I remembered I had a, a, a pathetic excuse for a toolbox in my uh, kitchen cabinet um, under the sink. So I ran there and I pulled out an unused hammer naturally. And then, um, strangely enough, this roll of duct tape that I bought on a whim once. And so I grabbed the roll of duct tape and I ran back into the um, uh, hallway and I noticed she wasn't there. They weren't there. And then I realized in the split second it took me to find the duct tape, she had miraculously dragged this unconscious Neanderthal back into his apartment and propped him up on a dining room chair. So I handed her the roll of duct tape and she magnificently began to strap him to the chair with the duct tape while he was still unconscious. And she did it so expertly. It was so incredible to watch. I was like shoes to shoulders, just like a rhythmic gymnast, just <laughs> It was magnificent. And so I watched her do this, and then before I could react, she turned to me and grabbed my hand and said, right in my eyes, she said, 
Listen to me carefully. You need to call the police, call 911, and you need to tell them that there was a domestic dispute. And when you tell them that, tell them that, that someone has a gun because the police will come faster. And then you need to tell them that you did this. And you need to, and I was like, whoa, whoa, time out. No, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I can't do, I can't be a part, no, no, no. She goes, no, listen to me. It has to be you. It can't be me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can't be me. And in that moment she said that, I thought, you know, I, I get it. I'd never, never known her before this moment, and for some reason what she said said so much about who she was and her life, and it just had so much weight to it when she said that, that I just, I had to reluctantly agree. And so I called the police, and um, they came, and of course he woke up and blamed me from taping him, because naturally he wasn't going to admit that she did it. Um, so yeah, no, he wasn't gonna do that. So um, before he was ready to press charges, um, basically they found drugs on him, and then um, realized he had an out-of-state warrant for his arrest, so he was out of there. And um, yeah, and strangely enough, I don't remember, I don't remember what happened right after that. Um, my memory's kind of fuzzy about that last week or so I lived in that building, and I don't quite know why, but I think it was just whatever was going on with my life, but I regretted not kind of bonding better with Miss Spoke or with Geneva because of what we had experienced that afternoon in the hallway. But for whatever reason, I let that go, and I moved out to um, cheaper rent somewhere else in the city and uh, moved on with my life, and then... Strangely enough, about a year later, I get a card in the mail from Geneva, and somehow she found my forwarding address and sent me this lovely little card, and in it she explained that she knew she was pregnant at the time of that incident in the hallway, and that luckily she had found a friendship and kinship with Miss Spoke because of that event, and I was so happy to hear that they somehow managed to build this friendship with each other that I didn't get a chance to have with them. And uh, in the card, she had this um, adorable little picture of her daughter, her beautiful baby girl. And on the back, I turned it over, and she had named her daughter Benjamina, which I thought is a really beautiful name, Benjamina. But as it turns out, Miss Spoke's birth name was Benjamin. So there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you've got a moment, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any podcast platform. Abby McEnany recorded her story in March 2017. Sonal Agarwal in July 2017, and PJ Gray in March 2019. Outspoken is hosted by Art Johnston and Kim L. Hunt, curated by Archie Jamjun, artistic director David Fink, stage manager Brad Bailoff, story collector Ray Teresi, audiovisual tech Brian Smith, podcast producer Devlin Camp. That's me. Hi. Outspoken takes place the first Tuesday of every month at Sidetrack and is audio recorded in front of a live audience. Join us for our virtual shows during the pandemic on the first Tuesday of every month. Sidetrack is dedicated to providing entertainment and hospitality in a respectful, safe, and inclusive space for the LGBTQ community. Find out more at SidetrackChicago.com. You can find more information about Outspoken at sidetrackchicago.com slash outspokenchicago. Music is by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0. Thank you. Bye.